Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S. And each week, we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome to CBS Eye on Veterans. For ConnectingVets.com, I'm former Navy journalist Phil Briggs. Now today we're going to look at the intersection of domestic violent extremism and military veterans. As we witnessed on January 6th, American politics has become so heated that some Americans have taken it to ridiculous extremes. With riots that resulted in several deaths and a social media landscape that literally rewards the craziest smack talk and or conspiracy theory out there, It's no surprise that fascist groups and Nazis and other hate-filled groups are flourishing. And at the center of our conversation today will be the involvement of U.S. military vets. From the vets who go full kit and open carry to angry protests, to the ones that are just mad at politicians, our guest today is doing something to fight the groups that are stoking the fires of violence and hate in the far-right corners of the internet. Christopher Goldsmith is an Iraq combat veteran, a writer, investigator, and leader of a new nonprofit organization called Task Force Butler that seeks to fight disinformation and work to bring them to justice. Christopher Goldsmith, uh, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks. So, so the one thing I want to clarify is, uh, yes, I do study far right movements, but I, I study extremism. You know, I, I try to be accurate with with these kind of labels. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't mean to say that you're studying far right as far as right wing politics and economic theory. You're studying uh, people that are out there that are wanting and preparing to do violence and preparing to do things in the support of these hateful ideologies, uh, mainly neo-Nazism. You've actually uncovered some huge, huge things. What is Task Force Butler? Yeah, so Task Force Butler Institute is it comes from two hist- the name of it comes from two historical uh anecdotes so most people know smedley butler as, as a marine's marine he was kind of the uh the general mattis of the world war 1 generation loved by everyone during the bonus army which is world war 1 vets were promised by congress that they would get a bonus for every day that they were overseas when they came home we were still on the gold standard so Congress said, actually, the Treasury doesn't have the money to pay you the bonus, so we'll pay you in 20, 30 years, right? So the bonus army was a, a bunch of pissed off vets who were rightfully pissed off because the government screwed them over, who you know were jobless, who were homeless, who took their families, camped out on the National Mall and protested, right? It was That was the bonus army. Now, a bunch of um, wealthy Wall Street cats came up to Smedley Butler, this recently retired, extremely well-respected Marine, and said, hey, we would like to, and I'm abbreviating, you know, a years-long saga, very short, we would like you to uh, help take advantage of this bonus army, these pissed off vets, and install a fascist government, like literally storm the Capitol and 
install a fascist government, remove the the president of the United States as as the chief executive and go this the way that Italy and Germany were going back in the 1930s. So what Smedley Butler did was he started working with a journalist and going to these meetings with with these Wall Street folks um, and basically were taking notes and brought all of his evidence to Congress instead of going through with this, the Wall Street push, the this fascist coup in the 1930s, he brought all the evidence to Congress. Now, this is a piece of American history that most people don't know because those congressional records weren't released until, uh, you know, just a few years ago within the last couple of decades. So even historians have kind of skipped over this a bit, uh, unless they were, you know, digging through newspapers. They didn't have the congressional records. The second part is the first task force Butler was from World War II. There was the second landing of, of American troops, uh, in, in France. So, you know, after D-Day. Uh, and this is when the U.S. military basically created combat or uh, combined arms, the theory of combat, combined arms in modern warfare uh, on the spot. You know, you have a bunch of infantry battalions, you have armor battalions ending up on the same beach. And they basically started mixing around the companies and were like, OK, you know, here's an infantry company with a tank company with some engineers. You go out and kill some Nazis. Turns out Task Force Butler was really good at going out and killing Nazis. And that is the theory of combat that made us so effective and, you know, why we defeated fascism. Right. So that's that's where the name comes from. We are the modern version of of this task force. Ball. Now, we're not committing violence. You know, no one in my uh, in my organization is is part of a, you know, a militia. We're not those idiots who try and play Call of Duty in real life running around with with weapons and armor on American streets. Right. We're we're not there. Meal team six is the term I always use, right? The big, the big fat guy there standing with his exactly. rifle in line at Arby's and he's all kitted up and the guy couldn't probably run a mile. Now, you know, we may still be, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, stereotypical pissed off veterans, but we're pissed off because we saw our fellow vets, not just on January 6th, but, you know, before then and since then, a bunch of folks that, that we served in the same uniform as who no longer appreciate our republic, our constitution, the democratic process, who would literally go to the United States Capitol and assault police officers with a, a Blue Lives Matter flag because they believed some conspiracy theories that were promoted by, uh, you know, crazy people online. And we want to take back patriotism and repair the veteran brand. You know, a lot of Americans have lost trust, not not just in uh, veterans, but in the military, in our democracy, because of what happened in on January 6th and the role of veterans who were involved. What we do is we hold people accountable. We, we either bring them to justice in the literal sense of, you know, uh, documenting criminal activity and providing it to law enforcement when appropriate, or Task Force Butler works to impose social and economic costs on those adhering to the tenets of fascism. And when I use these words like fascist or neo-Nazi, I need for people to understand that I'm I'm not talking about Republicans. I'm not talking about conservatives. I'm not talking about the GOP, you know, politicians, whatever. I'm not talking about people you vote for. I'm talking about people who describe themselves as fascists, people who, you know, I call neo-Nazis folks who are national socialists. That's where Nazi comes from, right? Talking about people who get swastika tattoos, who burn crosses, who burn, you know, swastikas at a, at a party full of white supremacists. So what our organization does is we document these people. We go into their spaces, both online and in the real world, and we help them understand that democracy is not going down without a fight. And that doesn't mean that we're, again, we're not wearing armor. We're not carrying guns. We're carrying cameras. You know, we're taking screenshots and we are shining sunlight on these folks so that society at large can hold them accountable for uh, what is disgusting behavior. Right on. 
the veterans of World War One that were promised these bonuses that didn't get them, that camped out on the muddy grass and the you know area outside the White House and outside the Capitol, that's sort of representative of a portion of American society today. People that feel disenfranchised, people that feel mm-hmm. angered that their government isn't taking their side or that there's crime in their neighborhood and the government said they'd protect them or that they spend their taxes and the taxes are all being or the tax revenue is all being misspent. The, the bonus army was angry vets looking to get paid for their service. And today the angry mob is just that an angry mob out there mm-hmm. in the voting populace. And and to you know stick with the bonus arm, army analogy, the bonus army was a peaceful protest, and there were powerful, uh, you know, rich folks who tried to manipulate those veterans into attacking the capital. And thankfully, because of Smedley Butler, uh, and and they approached basically the wrong guy uh, because he got all the evidence and gave it to Congress, that coup never happened. But it is the closest analogy that we have to the actual attack on the Capitol of January 6th. Let's talk about what this looks like then in application. You're out there, you're looking through memes, you're looking through these different chat spaces, whether it's Facebook or whether it's the other social media platforms that are havens for hate speech and neo-Nazis. you know, you're trolling people and you're trying to expose hate where hate's growing. It, give me an example where you were able to discover this was growing and you were able to root it out and show everybody, look, this isn't what you think it is. People might be familiar with with this group called Patriot Front. Um, may or may not be. They're a relatively small group. They're, you know, anywhere between 200 and 250 members uh, across, you know, the lower 48. These are neo-Nazis who are trying to basically paint national socialism in red, white, and blue. They call themselves Patriot Front, um, but they used to be Vanguard America. These are the same neo-Nazis who uh, went down to Charlottesville and were rioting and were, you know, using anti-Semitic and racist chants, right? These same people, they just stripped the banner off the fascist symbol and literally painted it in stars and stripes, right? And they have tried to rebrand and trick conservatives and patriots into defending them, right? So with the name Patriot Front, they're, they can be pretty successful with that. And the way that they do that is, is this group goes out and they troll vulnerable communities. Um, you know, they go into Jewish neighborhoods or, uh, neighborhoods with people of color and they'll, They'll vandalize um, uh, an MLK memorial, for example, uh, or a memorial for uh, another, you know, famous Black American who uh, fought for civil rights, and they'll cover it with their Patriot Front stickers and and you know have their website on these stencils, right? So local police, not knowing what this national neo-Nazi organization is see this criminal behavior and they're like, oh, well, it's, it's graffiti. Like that's like a $50 fine in some places. Like this, this is a misdemeanor. It's, it's whatever. These local police, because they're not seeing the national picture, they don't understand that this is part of a national organization, that every act of graffiti like this, which is a hate crime when you are targeting, you know, committees, uh, communities because of their race, color, creed, they aren't charging these guys with hate crimes if they catch them. Well, these these Patriot Front guys have also been connected to violence. Once in a while, they do a flash mob style event. They'll go to a a city like Boston or Philadelphia. They'll march through a black neighborhood. They will trick someone into getting into their military style formation. They'll assault them with weapons. They'll do things like throw a smoke grenade to obscure the view of, of any cameras, press, police that may be there. And because they're all wearing masks, the same way that the KKK wears hoods, right? These guys wear white masks because the police can't identify exactly who did the, you know, racially motivated assault. The local police are like, ah, well, you know, this, they only came to town once. It's not that big a deal. Well, what Task Force Butler has been doing for, uh, since our inception earlier this year is we've been working on a half terabyte, uh, data breach that uh, Patriot Front suffered because they were infiltrated by another anti-fascist who made this stuff available online. 
And we've been going through and we've identified dozens of these otherwise anonymous masked members of Patriot Front who live around the country, who document their own hate crimes and video and photo and upload it to their shared server. We've been going through their photos, their videos, their messages, and we've been connecting these anonymous pseudonyms with real identities. So in September, Task Force Butler published our first report called Project Blacklisted. Now, we didn't post this publicly because it it contains a lot of sensitive information, but we created this 238-page report that documents the conspiracies to commit violent hate crimes in Philadelphia in 2021, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and Boston in 2022. And we, we documented exactly who was there, who organized these, these violent events. And we sent them off to attorneys general and districts attorneys, uh, and community stakeholders, you know, throughout these, these, uh, different jurisdictions. And we have, have seen, uh, this work being used in civil suits already against members of Patriot Front to hold them accountable for committing hate crimes. Can I ask what the danger is with the graffiti? And this is me looking at this as like, oh, that's an isolated event. That's some jerk got his buddies together that also are jerks. And they decided to deface something. What's the real second order effect of that? Is it that the communities where these graffitis happen see these people not getting punished and then they begin to hate their government as well? Like, look, my government doesn't even try to lock these guys up. Uh, yes. And, you know, the, the hate crimes that they commit in the term, uh, in the form of property destruction, you know, the destruction of, of murals, uh, of statues of that kind of thing. It is to make these targeted communities feel unsafe because these guys will, you know, group between two and eight of them will be a, a bunch of white neo-Nazis who go into, say, a black neighborhood or, um, you know, outside a, a gay bar in uh, Olympia, Washington, for example, which they, they targeted uh, last year. They will get into a neighborhood where people feel safe and they will commit an act of, of property destruction that is very significant. And it telegraphs to that targeted community that we can come in here and we can destroy things and you won't even know it until the next morning. It, it is meant to make these people feel unsafe in places that they consider their home, that they consider their communities. So, so it is, it's not just to turn people against the government to feel like, Oh, it's unfair. The, you know, the police aren't pursuing these white supremacists. It is to make black and gay and Jewish neighborhoods feel as if they're not safe in their own homes. We mentioned Patriot Front. Who are other groups just off the top of your head that that are doing this? You know, we hear the names in the news like Oath Keepers and this and that. I mean, are the Oath Keepers part of this? Are the three percenters? I mean, are these all organizations that are all part of this society of white supremacist hate groups? Yeah. So. um the groups that that we are most concerned with are the ones who are the most extreme. You know, the I've I've personally and before Task Force Butler was even an idea, I was infiltrating the three percenters and recording them talking about killing people and providing those recordings to the FBI, the January 6th committee, that type of thing. Hopefully the January 6th committee publishes that. I think it's important for people to hear in their own words how the three percenters were talking about killing people and intimidating election workers, right? But we we don't discriminate. If you want to kill Americans or if you want to intimidate Americans uh, over their political beliefs, over their racial, ethnic, religious identity, we are coming after you. So another group would be the Aryan Freedom Network. The, the AFN. The AFN um, is an explicitly neo-Nazi organization. They are literally like the old guard KKK from rural Texas. And they've basically, you know, like Patriot Front, they've rebranded to try and attract a new generation. So they use the Totenkopf, the the like Nazi skull image as as their logo, which 
most Americans don't necessarily recognize, but when they show that to another neo-Nazi, like they're speaking the same language, right? The AFN had just a few weeks ago, a national conference in DeKalb, Texas. And, you know, I reached out to them on Telegram uh, using one of my pseudonyms that I use for work and uh, did went through their vetting to join their organization as a neo-Nazi and was invited to their conference. So I showed up with Task Force Butler to their secret meeting place at a gas station in DeKalb, Texas. And we had uh, NBC's investigations team in tow, you know, a professional videographer documenting all of this. We had our own little drone. Uh, we had our own cameras and we documented how neo-Nazis actually meet in person. And then we followed them to their conference and uh, we collected intelligence on dozens of, of neo-Nazis. Uh, who were out to basically groom a new generation of, of incels of like these young neo-Nazis in their twenties and thirties, uh, into, you know, these older folks, these, these like KKK types, the old school racists in their fifties and sixties, right? So it was a neo-Nazi grooming event, this AFN network conference. Uh, and when we flew our drone over them, we weren't doing it secretly, right? We wanted to let them know that we were observing them so that they understand that despite their vetting, despite their secret location, we are in the Telegram chat with them. So if they plan any sort of criminal activity, we are going to be there to document it and provide it to law enforcement. You know, if if a neo-Nazi is committed enough to join this organization, get a swastika tattoo on his chest and show it to his, you know, neo-Nazi friends on Telegram. But every day for work, he puts on a shirt and tie, you know, and he works for a law firm. Well, we're going to help people understand at that law firm that, hey, actually you're working with a neo-Nazi, a guy who's serious enough about the movement to get a swastika tattoo. So our goal is not just, you know, to provide law enforcement this information, but is, it is to make sure that we are keeping communities safe by making being a neo-Nazi expensive and really difficult. Because if you want to be a neo-Nazi, you've got to spend a lot of money and a lot of time worrying about my team coming and finding you and exposing you. Yeah. And uh, if you can't keep your job because you're outed as a neo-Nazi, to me, that's fair. You know? Yeah. If you want to be a neo-Nazi, you've got the First Amendment right to be a neo-Nazi, to say all the racist and hateful and anti-Semitic things that you want. But you have no right to hide from me. There is nothing in the First Amendment that, that stops journalists or private citizens from conducting research and exposing the, the truth about people's uh, violent and, and hateful nature. Right. Like this isn't this isn't libel. This isn't. Um, you know, making up lies about people, things that, that, you know, we could be held legally responsible for, right? Everything that we do is above board. We make sure that we are, uh, we fact check everything, right? We, we make sure that we have got the right folks before we, we ever, you know, out these folks. And we're also different from, you know, what, uh, from what people might be familiar with, with like doxing online. We don't do doxing. We talk to the media. Everything gets run through journalists. You know, journalists have their own, you know, ethical processes that they have to go through before anything gets exposed. So we are a hundred percent above board imposing social and economic costs on neo-Nazis and other fascists. Hmm. Imposing social and economic costs. Interesting. Uh, can I dive a little bit into, into details? What kind of things were they saying at this rally? Uh, my mind tends to bring up the famous movie with, uh, what is it, Ed Norton Jr. And how, uh, what, what the heck was that movie? Um, disturbing. American History X. Yes, American History X. Thank you. Yeah. Was yeah. that kind of thing? Like, are you all mad you don't have good jobs? Well, it's because other people taking them. Are you mad that, you know, you don't get along with your wife? It, 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 it's because, you know, we got illegals. Is that yes. kind of like what they were preaching? It is. uh if you think of a stereotype of, of like, I mean, American history X, these guys watch this and they see an instruction manual. They name themselves like the pseudonyms that they use 
are like characters from the movie American History X. Mm. Right. So so what these folks are is um, they take what are supposed to be, you know, documentaries or or fictional stories that show the cost of hate and they interpret it a different way. They see American History X as a recruiting video. Their entire purpose is to recruit and radicalize. You know, they're they're not looking to have a secret society. Right. The point of them meeting up in secret is so that they can share ideas and resources to um, to push their hateful messages into the mainstream to try to recruit and radicalize people who might, you know, have some who might be mildly racist. Um, you know, it might be like a disaffected young kid in his 20s who's an incel, who's a loser. They give this person the same thing that like the military does. They'll give them a community. They'll give them a, a sense of purpose. They'll give them a mission, right? It's, it's all really messed up stuff, but they, they provide the same type of stability for these unstable people that like the military did for a lot of us as veterans, right? That's, that's the closest analogy that I can get for people to be familiar with. And then they start to, um, convince those folks to strip the rest away. So that they no longer have an identity outside of the white supremacist movement so that they become, you know, they go from a loner living in his, you know, parents' basement to now I've got nothing but these neo-Nazis. And if I want to stay as part of this movement, I have to do what they tell me to do. And I have to go out and recruit more. Okay. Can we draw a link directly from some of these groups to some of the horrific things we've seen in the news, like these shootings, you know, I think of the gay club a few weeks back. Oftentimes, yes. Um, so the the shooter at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh uh, was a user of Gab was uh, Gab is, is an alternative social media platform that was created for the neo-Nazis after they started getting deplatformed after they rioted in Charlottesville in 2017, right? So he posted on Gab, his last message was F your aesthetics or uh, F your optics, I'm going in. And what he meant was he's going in to go kill Jews at a synagogue. And he did that. They have a real and large internet community or, or a series of internet communities across Mainstream social media platforms, but especially alternative social media platforms like Telegram and Gab. And they promote propaganda videos and websites that are dedicated to manipulating real news stories and making them, you know, racist, uh, or anti-Semitic in nature. And they, their goal is to get people to isolate people away from the mainstream. And to only accept their version, their racist, their anti-Semitic version of news as reality. And eventually, over time, these people become radicalized enough that they are motivated to violence. That sort of touches where we left off when you and I were talking, uh, gosh, a couple of years ago uh, during election season. You know, these these memes, these little graphics that that many of us in social media just find funny because they're punchy and they're mean spirited. And that sort of speaks to our kind of primal inner nature where we're not nice creatures to each other. You know, we like mean, we like a car accident. We like to gawk. We like to look, we like that, you know, we like a fight. They're taking those things and pushing them out from their little hate groups and their private chat rooms out to the mainstream social media to try to bring people over to their side. Maybe you're not going to make the jump from just suburban cul-de-sac dad to neo-Nazi, but you sure might like the hate angry speech they're sharing. And that might appeal to your sense of, unhappiness with your life and, and slowly, but surely they can lure you closer to, I guess, the dark side. Yeah. And they, they, um, they very deliberately do these disinformation campaigns, um, which, you know, I watch from their Genesis because I'm inside these like neo-Nazi chat rooms where they'll, they'll spend months developing a, a propaganda video. Um, the, one of the, the most, effective over the last year or so was um the christmas parade massacre as a as a black man uh driving an suv through a parade ran over and, and killed multiple people neo-nazis latched onto that as a black on white hate crime and have created a ton of content around it v- videos and and um you know entire websites 
and have, uh, when they create a new piece of content, a new video, they will instruct their followers how on, you know, alternative social media platforms, how to download that video and then upload it all over Facebook and all over Twitter and Instagram so that they are exposing, quote, normies, the rest of us, to this hateful propaganda that is supposed to trick people into believing that in conspiracy theories like that white people are the victims of genocide. Hmm. A dangerous recipe to play with, too, because it is so easy for for any normal person. It's easy to go. All my problems are because of someone else. It feels comfortable to say that it feels like, oh, yeah, I'm poor or I'm disenfranchised because you're holding me down. When the reality is, if you're not making enough money, you need to go do something to make more money. You need to fix it yourself. But boy, it sure feels comfortable to say all my problems are because of somebody else. Let's talk a little bit about how this infects, you said social media, how this even infects the news media, you know, with the top headline stories we're seeing. Uh, just as last week, I saw a lot of coverage about former President Trump meeting up with Kanye West and this guy, Nick Fuentes, whose name means nothing to me because I just don't follow hardcore political talk. But it seemed to make huge news, of course, one, when Kanye came out with those anti-Semitic rants. But then the media latches on to this meeting with Kanye and he brings this guy, Nick Fuentes, in. Now, all of a sudden, there's this fear that we're pushing a mainstream political candidate like President Trump. People are saying now that there's danger that they're going to be pulling Donald Trump into the racist ranks or that Donald Trump is, in fact, approving anti-Semitism and neo-Nazis through this dog whistle. Kind of unpack all that for me because I'm still sort of confused about the significance of it. Okay, so what what you just said is a sign that this deliberate anti-Semitic campaign is successful. You didn't know who Nick Fuentes was two weeks ago, but you just said Nick Fuentes four times. And now I'm saying it, right? We have we have now introduced listeners to uh to a a, a racist anti-Semitic uh propagandist whose only claim to fame was attending the neo-Nazi riot in Charlottesville in 2017 and then dropping out from his college in Boston because he was too intimidated by everyone else who was there who didn't like neo-Nazis, right? So Time magazine uh, back in 2017 created a celebrity out of this college dropout Nazi. That is how these people do what they do. They do outrageous stuff. Now, why does it matter who a former president is having dinner with? Because we're talking about it now. And that is the only reason. And these neo-Nazis recognize this. Now, the neo-Nazis coalesced around Trump in 2015 and 2016, not because they ever expected him to be president. Him becoming president was a great surprise to them. They latched on to him because everything that he said earned media coverage. Trump didn't need to pay for campaign ads in 2015, 2016, because every time he tweeted, he dominated cable news and and everything else, right? Well, journalists have kind of learned their lesson. So he's not getting the coverage that he used to, but Kanye is. And now that Elon Musk reinstated Kanye's Twitter account, you know, Kanye can inject his anti-Semitism, his conspiracy theories. He can let these neo-Nazis use his Twitter account, which they have been doing over the last, you know, couple of days, uh, and inject anti-Semitism and conspiracy theories into the mainstream because journalists see Kanye West as a black man first. And they say, well, if a black man is being hateful, then that is a unique story and we need to cover it. So when Kanye West says something about, a secret conspiracy theory about Jews controlling X, Y, and Z. The media covers it. They take screenshots of his tweets and they embed it into their articles and they put it on TV. And if one out of a million Americans, you know, is, is sees that message and they go, um, you know what? Maybe Kanye and his conspiracy theories, there's something to it, right? Let's say every time that Kanye tweets, he radicalizes or begins the radicalization of 300 Americans. Well, over a thousand tweets like that starts to add up. 
right? And that's what happened with Trump. It wasn't about, you know, the neo-Nazis didn't support Trump for his presidential campaign. They supported Trump because he normalized racist ideas and xenophobic ideas. Like the Muslim ban was racist, was uh, was Islamophobic, was xenophobic, right? But he, Trump normalized really racist stuff that suddenly became, you know, would have never been talked about 10 years ago. It actually happened as real policy. So is Kanye a real presidential candidate that they think is going to be in the Oval Office? Absolutely not. They are way more certain that Kanye, and we're all certain that Kanye will never be president. But him running and challenging Trump causes Trump to realize, well, if I want these guys back in, in his hardest supporters, if he wants them back in his corner, he's got to be more extreme. He's got to be more racist. He's got to be more anti-Semitic. So it can't just be dog whistles. It's got to be explicitly anti-Semitic stuff. He's got to compete with Kanye to earn the love of Fuentes back, right? He has not condemned Nick Fuentes. He said, oh, I don't know who he is, which is practically, it's literally a compliment to Nick Fuentes because that's the same thing that Donald Trump said about David Duke, you know, the former KKK grand wizard. For Fuentes to hear the man that he sat across from a dinner and who Trump reportedly said was very interesting and was a hardcore supporter of his, for Trump to put Fuentes up on the pedestal that David Duke is, that's a major step up for this 23-year-old neo-Nazi who's got decades left for the rest of his life to recruit and radicalize Americans into neo-Nazism and racism and anti-Semitism. Hmm. The subtle layers of manipulation they're using at the bottom by trying to hang out with people at the top. Huh. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, isn't it kind of ironic though, or sort of like, doesn't it not add up the fact that a racist would want to hang out with Kanye West? I mean, last time I checked, Kanye West is a black guy. I mean, why yeah. would a, why would a member of the clan want to hang out with Kanye West, much less promote his presidential campaign? Because he is a useful tool. Kanye West has a tremendous platform. He has, you know, despite the fact that like, you know, he's lost a ton of sponsors and deals and all sorts of stuff. He's, I, I'm pretty sure he's still a billionaire at this stage. They see him as extremely, extremely useful. They can help him shape a more explicitly anti-Semitic campaign, uh, which he sees as helping him earn additional earned media getting more coverage. He doesn't have to buy campaign ads. Kanye West goes out and says something, you know, anti-Semitic or racist or whatever. It's on the news ad nauseum. So these neo-Nazis, the, the core, the glue, the, um, the spine of their hate movement is the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. So if they can get a black guy to promote their anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, their dream of anti-black genocide becomes more real. And I know that sounds like like crazy fantasy talk, right? But we're talking about things that have happened in history. We started this conversation talking about how there was almost a fascist coup in the 1930s, and most Americans have no idea about you know the Wall Street push. But Italy and Germany fell to fascism very quickly, I might add. And most Italians, most Germans didn't see that happening as it happened. And we in the United States, in a, in a time when most Republicans have lost faith in elections and an increasing number of Democrats are losing faith in our elections, which is what makes our republic function, like we are, are getting close to teetering on that edge of when state-sanctioned violence uh, against minorities can become real, you know, and again, I want people to think about how, uh, how extreme the Muslim ban was, how extreme and how extreme the idea of spending billions of dollars on a monument to racism, a border wall is when, you know, the border patrol will tell you that a static wall is not the best use of funds, right? Like being real, a border wall is not an effective way to protect the border, but because it was a, a monument to racism, it became a reality for 
a sitting president. So these things sound crazy, but the stuff that our country has just done in the last six years is also like real crazy if you were to go back in a time machine 10 years ago and say, hey, do you think this is going to happen, right? You don't fall to fascism in a day. You mm. gradually get there. Yeah, and it's also not about policy. It's about we harp on and we focus on the crazy crap somebody just said instead of the actual stuff, which should make a substantive difference in who we elect. And that is their policies, what they intend to do, how they intend to execute it. Now, we just focus on that loud smack talk every single day. Oh, sad. Uh, glad you're out there. Task Force Butler. Glad you're in the trenches doing it. Glad you're sneaking into neo-Nazi uh, meetings with your drones. Um, keep exposing it. Uh, let's end with why are veterans so uh, why are veterans in this conversation? What is it about veterans that we need to know? And what is it that makes uh, maybe even a vet vulnerable to these Hateful messages. Take all policy aside, walls, immigration, uh, Muslim bans. Let's just take that all off the table. That's mm -hmm. those are policy issues. What makes a veteran susceptible to this stuff? So so veterans are not uniquely susceptible to disinformation campaigns. They're not uniquely uh, more likely to join a, a neo-Nazi group or, or an unlawful militia. But what they are is more likely to be targeted. The same, you know, when you and I first spoke like six years ago, ago about why the Russians were specifically targeting veterans, it's the same reason that the neo-Nazis are targeting them. And that's because veterans, rightfully so, come with a lot of social capital. When I was 20 years old and I had just spent a year in Iraq and I went to my town bar, I wasn't legally able to drink, but the bartender's like, oh, you're a combat vet? Go ahead. You can sit at this bar, right? I would sit down and guys that I looked up to in high school who were years older than me would come and sit down and ask me about world politics, right? Because I carried social capital because of my military experience, not just my combat experience, but the fact that I even raised my right hand to serve. So neo-Nazis or the Russians, they recognize that if they can convert, uh, if they can change the values system, the voting behavior, the, the belief system of a veteran, they're not just going to get that veteran. They're also going to get that veteran social network. Veterans are more influential in shaping the beliefs of those around them than any other cohort of Americans. So, you know, this, the work that I'm doing now, studying extremism in the United States is just an extension of the stuff that I was doing for the last six years of studying foreign interference and the reason why the Russians and the Chinese, the North Koreans and the Iranians target veterans with disinformation, because we are economically efficient targets. Wow. A slippery slope. And you kind of made it make sense there. I appreciate that because yeah, I've always, I've always laughed and found it amusing yeah, when somebody's asking me, well, what do you think of uh, North Korea or what do you think of our exit strategy from Afghanistan? And I'm like, dude, I was a photojournalist on an aircraft carrier. <laughs> what do you think? I, I couldn't begin to even give you an accurate answer. But yet you're right. People did after, you know, this whole global war on terrorism and our awakening to this unsettled geopolitical world we live in. Yeah, people are asking your regular 11 Bravo bang bang infantrymen, well, what do you think? Well, <laughs> Those those experiences, you know, whether they're traumatic or not, that military service makes us more likely after getting out to if we go to school to graduate, to earn higher uh, GPAs than our peers, to start small businesses, to be community leaders. And that doesn't just mean running for office. That means being a, a soccer coach or a Girl Scout troop leader. And these are are the things that also make us effective Nazi hunters. You know, you, I have got everything from global war on terror, um, you know, Afghanistan veterans who, you know, were machine gunners in the Marine Corps. I've also got guys who are flying Navy fighter jets before I was born. Like it is, it is a really diverse set of skill sets and life experiences that have brought us together, like, you know, the task force Butler of, of World War II a bunch of different experiences, a bunch of different skill sets. 
um, that make us, we're a small group. You know, if, if people want to join and support us, they can go to taskforcebutler.org or veteransfightingfascism.org. They can buy our t-shirts. They can donate. Um, but our team, super tiny, punching above our weight, man. Like we, we've got a, a lot of like legit neo-Nazi KKK types who are very upset. They, they sued us for the drone thing over Texas, right? They, they, they dropped the suit, but. You know, they, they knew it was never a case, but we've, we've been a nonprofit for like just over six months and the Nazis are already suing us. So, I mean, are we effective? I don't know. Have you been sued by a Nazi? Like (laughs) (laughs) good stuff, man. Yeah. I definitely see how you guys are tip of the info war spear here. And that's uh man, that's really cool. Um, let's just land here. Two things. Advice. I would ask, you know, do you have advice for veterans and do you have advice for the country at large? But I think that the advice is the same here. When absorbing and and digesting everything we see in the news and everything we see, what am I supposed to know? Not just as a veteran, but as a consumer of social media, what should I know when I'm reading the news? What should I be looking for? What should I be thinking about? So everything that you see on on the news or, you know, that you see on social media, uh, you know, if you find yourself having an emotional reaction which is normal, right? Like if, if you are reading a story or a Facebook post about, you know, pedophiles victimizing children, you are rightfully upset. But the pedophile thing is also, uh, which is now morphed into calling members of the, you know, LGBTQ community groomers, right? This, there's this far right campaign that is using this slur against the LGBTQ community. Well, ask yourself, why are you being presented this? And for the groomer thing, that is because a far right campaign has been waged against Americans to try and delegitimize and to, uh, to persecute the LGBTQ community by tricking people into having an emotional reaction, which is rightful when they think that kids are being preyed upon. But when you see these things that cause an emotional reaction, ask yourself, why am I seeing this? Why am I seeing this? Today, why am I seeing this here? And why am I seeing, you know, this framing, this link, this article? Why is this, this person sharing it? And if you approach everything that you see on social media that way, it, it becomes habit and you start to become more resistant to these deliberate campaigns of hate. Um, you know, I, I would encourage folks if they've seen this groomer thing, maybe if they've, you know, become part of the campaign, pushing the slur to think about what this actually means and what are the results of calling people in the LGBTQ community groomers? Well, the results are a crazy guy out in Colorado goes to Club Q in uh, was Colorado Springs and yeah. murders a bunch of people. That is the result of this anti-LGBTQ campaign by a bunch of extremist propagandists whose ulterior motive is to, to hurt people. Not so much what you're seeing, but why you're seeing it. Realize there's second and third chess moves behind why, why you saw that, that you're not even aware of. And Mm -hmm. don't be such a sucker. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy stuff. Well, I'm glad you are doing this. I'm glad you're in there. Um, I don't have the stomach for it nor the intellect for it, but I am glad that uh, your small but effective team is out there again, probing the dark areas of the internet, trying to find some of these groups that are just trying to sow the seeds of hate in hopes to grow an angry society that maybe someday will do uh, the unthinkable and, you know, overthrow our government. I never in a million years would have dreamed that's a fear. I came up in the eighties, you know, when it was just, you know, Rubik's cubes and Van Halen and fun. Well, there was the cold war. There was the Russians, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a crazy world. We live in to think that like that all this is actually moving faster, growing quicker. Thanks to the connectivity provided to us by social media. Wow. 
what a weird place. Yeah. And uh, it makes me want to not check Facebook later today. Um, if I want to check anything, I might want to check out a little bit more about Task Force Butler. You mentioned it earlier, but uh, hit me with the website and share with me how I can track what you're doing and your investigations as they continue. Yeah, so they can go to taskforcebutler.org or veteransfightingfascism.org. Uh, there we've, you know, got a, got a donate button and look, I'll be frank. I've, I've been running this nonprofit almost entirely out of my own pocket. We are starting to get donations, but if we want to be fully operational, we need some like major, major, major support. So any donation counts. But if you're thinking, you know, you really believe in this mission, like, Every dollar helps us out. Um, we also just opened up a store, Veterans Fighting Fascism t-shirts uh, and and mugs. We're going to be adding new art. So, you know, if they don't see something they like now, they can come back later. But again, taskforcebutler.org, veteransfightingfascism.org. You can learn about our our campaigns to, to fight hate and, uh, you know, see the social and economic costs uh, that, that uh, we impose on actual neo-Nazis and fascists. Right on. Iraq combat veteran, writer, author, and investigator, Christopher Goldsmith, man. I can't thank you enough for uh, opening my eyes. Uh, here I thought we'd have a 10-minute conversation about this. And, uh, man, I could. I, I have a dozen more questions we could still dive into, but I appreciate everything that you and Task Force Butler is doing. Thanks so much for your time, man. All right. Thanks, brother. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.